and welcome to the second episode of Artisans of the Wine, a podcast series charting the life and career of Hervé Deschamps, chef de cave at Champagne Perrier Jouet for the past 27 years. This year, 2020, is his last as chef de cave. He's about to retire. So this series is a farewell to Hervé and an insight into the art of making champagne. My name is Susie Barry. I'm a master of wine, a broadcaster, writer and podcaster. And I'm your host, helping to bring this remarkable story to life. In this second episode, Hervé will be chatting with the Italian journalist and champagne expert Alberto Lupetti, who's known Hervé for well over a decade and is both a colleague and a great friend. On a practical note, due to the current coronavirus lockdown restrictions, sadly none of us can travel. However, we are hooking up virtually with Hervé in Champagne, Alberto in Rome and me at home in the UK. But whatever our locations and wherever you happen to be listening from, we very much hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello Alberto. Hello Hervé. Hello Susie. Hello. Hello Susie. Hello Hervé. Just permit me to say that even in lineage, I always call Champagne, Champagne and not Champagne. So, Alberto, could you just kick us off by telling us where and when your love story with champagne began? Ah, good question. When I finished uh, the school, I entered in uh, Italian Air Army and uh, I was a fighter pilot. Then uh, when uh, I had, unfortunately, to come out uh, in uh, 1992, I started to be a journalist uh, about uh, sports car. Then I discovered the wine, I discovered the red wine, and I started writing about Italian red wine. Then my love story with Champagne began in 2000. Uh, I was inside a group of friends. They were cigar, Havana cigar lover, and they used to drink champagne every time. So I discovered, I realized that everybody loved champagne, but they didn't know what there was inside the bottle of champagne. So I decided, okay, it's time I go to discover. And my love with champagne started just 20 years ago. So I'm assuming that you visit Champagne pretty regularly, Alberto. Um, how often do you meet up with Hervé uh, when you're in the region? After our first meeting in 2007, I can say we became friends. Uh, he's a good friend uh, today, Hervé, after 13 years. So almost every time I go in Champagne region, even just uh, for a coffee, better uh, for a glass of champagne, I come uh, to, to look uh, <laughs> to look Hervé. Sometimes uh, we pass several, several hours together, sometimes just a low and uh, a glass or a coffee. But uh, I cannot miss uh, Hervé when, uh, <laughs> when I came to Champagne region. And both of you, I guess, Elve, you as well. What do you think has made you two such good friends? It's the same passion around uh, champagne. 
And uh, Alberto, it's like me. It's uh, smiling a lot and uh, it's better to communicate. And perhaps it's the first step during the first uh, meeting to be a very good friend. And after, when you have a new vintage, it's uh, a good challenge to try with Alberto, previous uh, the official launch, what is a uh, new vintage and what is your sensation? What is your... Uh, image with a new vintage. And uh, Alberto is very proud for that. And it's a very uh, clear uh, testing and uh, it's um, a direct language. And for me, it's a very good friend for that. And uh, it's a very good advice for, uh, for the dosage when you try some uh, no dosage uh, vintage and uh, you discuss for that. And uh, Alberto sent me some uh, advice on uh, Why not? So, Alberto, what I'd love you to do is tell us what you think is so special and unique about the style of Perrier Jouet. But I'd also love for you and Hervé to talk about that incredible tasting, vertical tasting that was held in 2010 that you that you were a part of uh, that was entitled The Art of Vintage. <laughs> uh, when, when you say, when everybody say Perrier Jouet is elegance, they are right. Is elegance, but uh, at the same level, I find there is this ability of aging. How can age uh, Perrier Jouet Champagne is really amazing. More, I think that you must let a bottle of Belle Epoque resting in your cellar for some years. It will be better and better with the time. And the demonstration is, as uh, Susie, you just told, the amazing uh, vertical testing uh, we made in uh, 2010, starting with Belle Epoque uh, 2002, ending with the most uh, old champagne in the world, Perrier Jouet 1825. The point of a, a vertical tasting is that you taste the same wine going back over several years. Thank you again, Hervé, for uh, that experience. And uh, permit me to say, at the end of the tasting, I really loved the, the first uh, Belle Epoque, 64, and it was a uh, Blanc de Blanc. At the end, if someone would ask me, what's your favorite today? Permit me to say again the first Belle Epoque and permit me to say that uh, thanks to Hervé, this Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc 64 reborn in 93 because when Hervé became chef de cave, he decided to add to Belle Epoque range the first, the third Belle Epoque as Blanc de Blanc. So if today we can... Uh, uh, Taste again the original Belle Epoque is thanks to Hervé when he created the new Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc, so 100 
per Saint Chardonnay, Caming, Frode, Grand Cru Village of Craman, just to parcel. How would you describe it, Alberto? Uh, elegance with creamy uh, mouth, that is the signature of uh, Craman Village, with an amazing Uh, one more time, amazing ability of aging. Just uh, last summer, uh, I think, uh, I asked to Hervé to let me taste the first Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc, the 93, and uh, thank you to Hervé, we tasted where, in Meso Belle Epoque, of course, with Thierry, the historical sommelier of the Maison. So uh, Hervé, myself, and Thierry, we experienced a wonderful bottle of Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc 93, that is uh, the, the first one. And uh, then uh, Hervé made uh, several Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc really, really great. And uh, the, the great surprise has been for me the last one, 2006. 2006 in Champagne. Uh, has been a difficult vintage, uh, a warm vintage that uh, with uh, too much uh, gourmand wines. But I was astonished when I discovered Belle Epoque Blanc de Blanc 2006 because the elegance was really amazing and uh, the minerality, the chalk character in that bottle. So Hervé is uh, a devil. It's not a simple <laughs> chef de cave. <laughs> Now, I think you do have um, one criticism of, of the wine, which is the bottle it comes in, Alberto. Do you, uh, I think you, you and Hervé often talk about this. Uh, it's um, with a clear glass, with a flint bottle. It's uh, very dangerous when you have uh, the light. We have a special uh, um, uh, combination with uh, sulfur and uh, amine acid to create a very bad aromas. And it's like uh, um, dusty, uh, sponge, uh, and uh, it's uh, horrible. And uh, it's very important to be careful when you store the bottle without a direct light. And Susie, thanks to Hervé, I discovered that if you let the bottle, the transparent bottle, to the light, after only five minutes, the bottle is compromised. Hervé told me in a few years ago, and I was astonished, just five minutes to lose uh, the, the character the, uh, of the wine in the transparent bottle. And But it's been slightly resolved, has it, with um, a covering of the bottle? Yes, and you can use a uh, paper uh, to wrap the bottle uh, in a paper, or you can use a gift box. But when you open the bottle and when you pour in your glass, after maximum five minutes, you can have the good lumière, the bad aromas, and it's better if you drink before five minutes your glass. That's no problem, Hervé, in my house. <laughs> So, so, Hervé, next bottle, we will have to feed to empty the bottle in less than five minutes.
Now, I'm going to ask you um, um, what you feel is and what will be the impact of climate change on the region. Hervé, uh, you or me? <laughs> <laughs> me first. You, you first. You first, of course. On the global warming, uh, it's so drama in Champagne. Uh, since uh, 20 years, you have uh, irregular weather. And it's not only hot and sunny weather. Sometimes it's the beginning of the spring, it's very hot, but the end of April, it's frost. And a part of the vineyard will be destroyed. And you have, a, a, normally, it's a, the Chardonnay era, have a lot of damage with the frost. And another characteristic for the global warming, it's a shorter period between the blossom and the picking. And uh, in the past, it's uh, 100 days between blossom and picking. And now, last year, it's only 80 days. And when you reduce this time, you concentrate more sugar, but you destroy more acidity. And perhaps the balance of the wine moves to open wine, less potential for the aging, while they have less acidity than in the past. And does that worry you, Hervé? And it's um, a reflection now to not only to see the sugar level, but the balance between acidity and sugar level to have the very good date for the picking and to respect the balance and the potential for the aging. And also, it's uh, some research with a new grapes variety, more adapted for the climate. And uh, with the global warming, it changed so quickly. You can imagine to create a new grapes variety, it's minimum 10, 15 years. And uh, during this period, the climate changed also. So you're trying to literally create new, find completely new varieties um, yes, to suit yes. the climate. And uh, in uh, other parts of the world, uh, they move the vineyards more higher with uh, more uh, cold temperature, like in Austria. But in Champagne, vineyards are on the top of the hill. You can higher. You can move your vineyards on the north of the Champagne, but it's not too far. And Alberto, what do you think? Uh, of course, uh, Hervé is right. After uh, what uh, he just told Hervé, I cannot talk. But I can say uh, today, uh, if uh, climatic condition will uh, will not go to 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 be uh, more more warm, could be could still be an advantage for Champagne because it's more easy to make a vintage. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, you can have a vintage uh, three, four times every decade. Today, you can have a, a vintage almost every year because of global warming. It's right, uh, Hervé. So you have a better maturity for making uh, a, a vintage champagne. And But you think at the moment, Alberto, it, it's quite good for the region that, that it is a little bit warmer. Uh, if uh, if the climatic condition will not uh, going warmer, yes. Otherwise, uh, it's time to to worry. Yes, but uh, there are several tools for uh, fighting uh, 
global warming. I don't know if uh, Hervé will agree, for example, blocking uh, uh, malolactic fermentation could be a tool to balance a too warm season in the, in the region. Yes, but uh, malic acid, it's not the same test like the other acid, and uh, it's an evolution for the taste for your uh, champagne. And uh, for me, it's more difficult to integrate no malolactic uh, in Perrier-Jouet process. You change the face for uh, the champagne. It's a solution to have the acidity, but... Uh, we should just explain malolactic fermentation is the change from um, from malic acid, which is quite tart and appley and tangy, through to a more slightly softer lactic acid. And that can be stopped happening or it can be allowed to happen or it can be even encouraged, can't it? Yes. And, uh, in Perrier-Jouet, we chose to make uh, malolactic fermentation for opening the wine. And we have a soft uh, and roundness after the malic, uh, malolactic uh, fermentations. With the malic acid, is more sharp and acidic sensations. And sometimes when it's a very good uh, year with a strong acidity, it's uh, more uh, uh, strong and angle and you need more time to reduce this kind of aggressivity. Permit me a question to Hervé. Hervé, when, uh, when Perrier-Jouet uh, uh, started to do full malolactic fermentation in the uh, 70s, during 70s? Bef it's before, in the, in the 50s, when you uh -huh. change uh, oaks barrel to concrete tanks. And in the concrete tanks, you made all the malolactic fermentation. It's uh, mid-50s, uh, you change... Uh, we have no key uh, uh, process on malolactic fermentations in all uh, tanks, and uh, it's it's easier to to create a, a good healthiness in the wine. And uh, in the past, sometimes when they don't make malolactic fermentation, they have malolactic fermentation after the second fermentation in the bottle and more difficult to turn the bottle and to expulse the, the very fine uh, particle in the sediment. Uh, it's like uh, uh, lipids uh, and the, it's like a glue and uh, they need uh, six months on the wooden rack to move all the sediment on the neck of the bottle. 
So we should probably say with a malolactic fermentation, it's very much a house choice to do with the style that they are making. Um, yeah. So some houses choose to block it, some houses choose to to adopt it. And it's to do with a final style, presumably. Yes, and uh, uh, we have some uh, good friends and they manage uh, the acidity level. And every year, it's a different uh, level of uh, wine without malolactic fermentations. But uh, with some uh, clients, they don't uh, like this kind of uh, inconsistent uh, style with uh, an acidity, but not the same test. It's a global impression. For me, it's uh, not only the acidity or the sweetness in the champagne, it's the harmony. And harmony, it's not only with uh, sugar and acidity or alcohol level. So, Alberto... Um just talking about Hervé's very long career, I mean, he spent his entire career working for the same champagne house. Do you feel that that happens often in your experience? In the past, yes. Today, less. Let me explain. We experienced uh, starting 2018, yes, uh, something that in Champagne it was called Le Mercato de Chef de Cave. So there were a lot of changes. So but mar- for me... Mar- for English ears, the, the market of, of the Chef market. de Cave. <laughs> uh, but I think a Chef de Cave needs uh, to pass his uh, career into one house because he's the guardian of the style and of the spirit of the Maison, just as uh, Hervé was talking uh, when he told me a chef de cave must be able to lead a visit in the cellar. It's because a chef de cave is something really special. Only the Champagne region has a chef de cave. In the other uh, wine region, you call... head head winemaker or something like that. So Chef de Cave is not only the winemaker, it's something special. For that reason, I think he has to be linked uh, with uh, one house. Yes, of course, uh, when he's young, uh, he can uh, work for several houses. But then when uh, when, uh, he became a great Chef de Cave, he must end his career in uh, the same house. This is my honest personal opinion if you permit So I'm going to ask a final question to both of you now. If you had a crystal ball, how would you see the future of Champagne? Today, Champagne is about 300 years old and for 
the next 300, 400 years, it will remain the reference for uh, for all the wines. I, as I told before, I don't worry too much about the climatic condition because I am sure the Champenois will be able to find a solution uh, for uh, keeping this... Uh, this magical wine as we know today, as we knew uh, 20 years ago and for the future. So I am confident about future of, uh, of Champagne. Alberto, I am going to ask you one more question. Um, I want to ask you why you think Champagne is such a special wine. Uh, because uh, in a Champagne region, if you look to the... The, 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 the weather condition, the climate condition uh, is a region that doesn't fit the wine. For that reason, this region is, is making the best wine in the world. But more, for me, there are two uh, characteristics that are uh, unique in the Champagne. Aging... Uh, ability and versatile and how much is versatile aging as we talked before about the vertical testing champagne is a time machine you can uh, go uh, to the past and leaving how it was the champagne and you have several uh, uh, ways to discover this uh, time machine if you let the champagne age with its dosage like uh, Hervé Duet Perrier Jouet or to, uh, with the champagne late disgorging that has completely different. So you have two different tools for the time machine. And I think there is no other wine in the world with the same uh, characteristics. The other, the, versatile, the versatility, uh, there is no uh, wine in the world that can match your uh, uh, humor in the morning, in the evening, in the night, a celebration, uh, a food pairing, because you can enjoy champagne with fish, with uh, first dishes, with standard aperitif, but even with the meat. And there is no other wine with this uh, versatility. The only food that doesn't fit the champagne is the panettone. And unfortunately, we <laughs> in Italy, we were used to open the bottle of champagne during Christmas time with the panettone. And this is the only, only food pairing I personally ate. <laughs> <laughs> Alberto, thank you. Hervé, thank you so much. Thank you, Suzy. Thank you to you. This was the second episode of Artisans of the Wine. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, you can find the rest of the series on your podcast listening platform of choice, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or Deezer. Thank you again for listening and goodbye for now.